Morning. I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Paul's letter to Philemon. It's right before Hebrews. Just probably a single page. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epiphas, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, I thank you that uh, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, to pay the price we could not afford, to provide redemption in him, reconciliation in him, Lord. And so as we go through your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our ears, our eyes to see what your word has for us this morning, Lord. I pray that your anointment be on Jackie, Lord, that you would fill his mouth with your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ta-da. It's like magic. 
O-N-O-F off. It's a crazy switch. Anyways, let's try it again. So this will be the first day I get a book done in under a year. I'm going to do an entire book in one uh, Sunday morning. So we'll see. <clears throat> Hopefully, that's how it's going to work out. So let me tell you the story. There is a Paul. Paul's in prison. At this point, he is in prison in Rome. Uh, when we go to Israel, we're going to swing by Rome and have an opportunity to see the places where Paul was in prison. And uh, while he's there, he meets a guy who got arrested. I don't really know what he did wrong. But uh, come to find out, he was a runaway slave. His name was Onesimus. They put Onesimus in the same prison with, with uh, Paul. So if you're stuck in prison with Paul, you're going to hear the gospel, right? So Onesimus comes to hear the gospel, uh, trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and, and becomes a co-laborer in the jail ministry with Paul. So the time comes, Onesimus, he gets released. But Paul finds out, oh, you're a runaway slave, and the guy you ran away from, I know. His name's Philemon. I know his wife's name and his son's name. In fact, this letter is joined together with Colossians. We just studied. Colossians and Philemon went together because it's the same church, same area. Uh, this is a, a, a home fellowship that's meeting in Colossae at Philemon's house. And so um, uh, Paul sends a personal letter along with the, the letter to the Colossians, and it becomes... Scripture. And it becomes Scripture because of what it asks us to do. Forgive somebody who's wronged you. Anybody ever been wrong? Yeah. So, so we, we probably all have that in common. We've been burned a time or, or two. What probably will happen, we don't know, right? None of, the, none of the details really laid out for us. But because there seems to be a debt owed... Uh, because of that, probably uh, Onesimus was given a job, probably given some money and uh, sent to go do something for, for Philemon. And on the way, he decided, I got cash in my pocket and I don't have chains on my wrist, so I'm out. And he just took off with the money. And whatever things and choices he was making in his life led him to be arrested in Rome. So it can't be great, right? He wasn't arrested as a runaway slave. Rome, Rome would have done something else with him if they knew he was a runaway slave. So, so he spends time in jail, meets Paul, gets saved. And Paul says to him, hey, you need to go back to Philemon. See, Philemon's a brother in Christ. And, and now you're a Christian. You weren't a Christian before, but now, now you're a Christian and you need to... We got to make that right. We got to figure out how to restore that relationship and that's something that's pretty important for us to kind of figure out how to do because in the world of of christian brothers and sisters we're really good at holding grudges against each other and we're not so good about forgiving we're not so good about restoring we're not so good about about uh letting god be the one who takes care of how it should work out, right? It's not always our left hook that's necessary. Sometimes the Lord says, well, all the time the Lord says, just give it to me. Doesn't he? Scripture declares, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You give it to me. 
It's, that's my job. But sometimes we want to be God. No? Because we're just like Jonah. You guys remember Jonah? Jonah, he's, he's uh, hanging out with his friends and family. And the people, the king of the world, the world empire of the day was Assyria. And Assyria was a very cruel people. And probably in Jonah's life, his own family had been in some way affected by the hatred and cruelty of Assyria. And then God said to Jonah, his prophet, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. And when you get to Nineveh, what I want you to do is I want you to share who I am with them. You remember what Jonah said? Yeah, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't. This is what Jonah said. Now, this is so different. I want you guys to kind of wrap your mind around this, but this is so different from the world's view of the God of the Old Testament. Because the world's view of the God of the Old Testament is cruel, uh, judgmental, destroying people all the time. But Jonah's view of the God of the Old Testament was you're always forgiving, you'll be merciful, you're going to give them a break. I ain't going. So he gets on a boat and goes the other way, right? And as he goes the other way, he's on this boat, going as fast as he can in the other direction. There's a storm, and all the sailors say, man, something's wrong, dude. The, the, the sea is angry. And so Jonah is thinking, Jonah hates Assyria so much. Jonah's like, throw me over. If I'm dead, I can't go. <laughs> right? Don't you, you don't really think Jonah thought a fish was going to swallow him and he's going to be okay, right? No, when they say, hey, what, what should we do? Jonah's volunteering. Yeah, pitch me out. Throw me out. I'll show God. He's going to have to find somebody else. I'm going to be a dead prophet. <laughs> so they throw him over the board. And before he can drown, a fish swallows him. Carries him back to Nineveh. Pukes him up on the beach. Jonah's have such a bad attitude and such hatred for the Assyrians. As he walks through town, this is the message he preaches. 40 days and God's going to kill you. <laughs> Pretty much. You read the story. Then he goes and sits on a hill. See what God's going to do. He better burn these guys. And the king puts on sackcloth and ashes. And all the people do the same, and they repent. And God forgives. And Jonah gets mad. I knew you were going to do that. God's always... Why is his view of God different than the world's view of God? Yeah, because he knows him. You read, you read stories, you read history, and you think you know what's going on? I was, I was reminded of this. We're, we're talking about this slave and getting things right with Philemon. And, and so I was, I was looking back at some history. Do you know during the Civil War, the Supreme Court declared slaves were non-people? Wait. The Supreme Court did that? Yeah, aren't they the guys in charge? Isn't that what everybody keeps saying? Now, is there anybody in the world saying slaves are non-people? Well, should we still treat it that way? No, what happened? People stood up and said, that's not right. Isn't that what they did? 
And now today, slavery, thank God, is abolished, right? But now the Supreme Court says, pre-born are non-people. And we all just want to say, Supreme Court says, that's just how it is. But there was once a group of people who stood up and said, that's not okay. That's not okay. And I don't care who voted and who said what. God says that's not okay. So we have this, this idea as we, as we look. We, we have this, this concept that, that man is better at ruling himself and running himself and figuring things out. And so we have Jonah on a mountain mad that God forgives the Assyrians because Assyrians are bad people. And we got the world saying God's not really kind and forgiving God. And we got people making up rules. And what in the world? It's all upside down and backwards. So Philemon is, is an introduction on how do, we get, how do we get our feet back on solid ground? How do we begin to respond like we ought to respond to the situations in life? How do we see the people that we hate and learn to love them? Because that's all stuff Jesus said we could do. It's all stuff he has given us the power to do. We want to be able to respond in that. So let's see what Philemon has to tell us. In verse 1, Paul says, his introduction, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So they're writing in Colossae to uh, uh, his partner, his partner in ministry is Timothy, right? Timothy is there with him. Paul and Timothy, our brother. He's talking to Philemon. So they all know each other. They're all there. We're going to see that, that Paul was instrumental in Philemon's salvation. And then he's writing to Philemon. How, what does he call him? Dearly beloved, much loved fellow laborer. In order to be somebody that's much loved, you, you, you got to... Be grounded in what the scripture tells us in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5 tells us that if we've been justified by faith, then we find that all the trials and tribulations of our life are producing things in our life, bringing us to the point that he makes in verse 5, which is that the love of God is poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So all of these things happening in the life of a believer mean that God is moving and working and sanctifying in your life. And I know some of those things are hard, but he wants you to know it all has value. It's all accomplishing something. And as it's accomplishing the things that it's accomplishing, we want to we focus on the reality that we get there. God gives us, he pours into us by the Holy Spirit, which is in us. If you put your faith in Christ, he pours love in your heart. But you have to choose it right or you can choose to get on a boat going in the other direction or you can choose to jump out of the boat and hope you drown in the water or you can choose to love your brother right you can choose to be angry you can choose to be bitter you can choose to be resentful and then you will lose your witness in the world and there's a lot of people running around like that and still think it's okay to be bitter at your brother or bitter at your sister. But all we're doing is, is 
not allowing the Spirit of God to work in our life just like Jonah on top of that mountain, looking down, filled with hate, filled with anger toward the people. So Paul, writing to Philemon, his beloved brethren, somebody who's working alongside with him, and Aphia, his wife, that's Philemon's wife, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, Archippus, if you remember when we went through Colossians chapter 4, uh, there's this little verse that says, Hey, tell Archippus to fulfill his purpose in ministry. So, so Philemon's son, Archippus, is obviously being raised up. He's being equipped and he's got a, an opportunity. And Paul says, greet also the church that meets in your house as they gather together. And then he gives his traditional Pauline greeting in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace. Two things we need, right? Two things we need. You won't have the second without the first. And you don't have the first if you're holding bitterness in your heart. You cannot have grace and bitterness at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. So if I'm angry, if I'm bitter about what someone did, or more often an implied or an imputed hurt, or I think this is what they meant, or I think this is what they thought, or I think this is... Don't you see that's what the churches for 2,000 years have been dividing over this stuff. Why is Philemon in the Bible? Because churches needed to learn. Philemon was wronged by Onesimus. And Paul's going to say, here's what you do if you've been wronged by a brother. Here's what you do. So he's going to give his prayer. Verse 4, he begins, as he always does in his letters, to pray for the person he's writing to. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for, what's he say? All the saints. All the saints. Philemon doesn't know the end of the story. Philemon's probably still angry about this guy Onesimus who took off. We don't know how long he's been gone, how much money he stole. We don't know any of that stuff. All we know is that something happened and Paul said, charge it to my account. So there's probably something involved with money, right? And we know that he was a runaway slave. Absolutely know that. And so he's saying to him, look, I know. Here's what I know about you, Philemon. I pray for you and I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for you because I know how much you love others. Of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And if you love all the saints... What I'm going to ask you to do is going to be easy. Because it's just expressing the love that you have. Which God promised to give you in Romans chapter 5, right? So we want to see this pour out. Then he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become more effective. So he's praying for Philemon to be fruitful in his ministry. Be fruitful in his witness. Remember we were talking about how is it that I can be fruitful in my witness and bitter? How can you be fruitful for the Lord and angry at someone else that the Bible would declare to you is not okay? Where the Bible would say, no, you need to make it right. You need to forgive. You need to be in peace. And to do that, you have to have grace. Which means we extend grace. And sometimes you extend grace more than one time. But we still extend it. 
we still reach out with the love of Christ that he has given us. Because that's what he did for me. That's the point. Look, when I'm the one. I always like this. this uh, when, when the Passion of the Christ came out. You remember they did an interview with Mel Gibson. And they asked him, well, there was a bunch of stuff about whether he was anti-Semitic. Uh, and, and so they want to know, who's the hands driving the nails? Who's guilty for the crucifixion of Christ? This came up a lot during the movie. And Mel Gibson said in the filming, he said, those are my hands. I like that. Now, he said a lot of dumb things, okay? So have I, by the way. So have I. I don't, I don't want to... I don't wanna, uh, go too far, but so have you. Right? Aren't we all guilty? Oh, hopefully we don't forget that. So he said, those are my hands. And those are my hands, for sure. I drove the nails. I drove the whip. It was, it was me. And I would have been no different than the crowd. Just like we wouldn't have been any different than the crowd. That's the point. In theology, it's called federal headship. It means... That the, the best of us fell, that means the rest of us are not the best of us. Same, same concept for people in the Olympics, right? Trust me, you would not be the hinge that made the Olympic basketball team better. The best is there. When the best falls, when the best fail, means we fail. Same idea in theology. When the best fall, when the best falter, it means we, we fail. We, we have an idea, we have an elevated idea of, of our ability to overcome what other people couldn't. We think, oh, I, I wouldn't have been. I'll tell you right now, I would have been. I'm guilty. And if I'm a guilty man saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that he extended to me, how can I withhold that to anyone? I cannot. And the Bible tells us that. Two men, they, they owed a, a great sum, right? The parable is told. Each are forgiven. Which one loves more? The one that's forgiven more, right? If you don't think you were forgiven much, you don't really give a rip about any of this. If you know you were forgiven for much, man... You love much. You love much. Probably Jonah's problem. Anytime we run into a thing where we want to hold on to bitterness, it's usually because we're pretty sure we're better than the person we're bitter against. But we have to let that stuff go, man. We got to let those things go. If we want to be, if we want to be effective in our witness, you can't do it with bitterness. For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. How did every good thing get in us? Yeah, Paul said, man, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. There's nothing good in me. Everything good in me is, is because of Christ. Look, there are a lot of people in the BC days in my life that, that wanted to hang out with me. I don't know why. I was not good to anybody. I have no idea why my wife stayed with me all those years. I have no idea. I was not good. I was not kind. 
Every good and kind thing that ever issues out of me is proof that Christ is in me. Every time I'm able to love somebody who's not lovable or extend grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it is proof that Christ is in me. And I want, my hope is that my life can be more about proving Christ is in me than worrying about who's keeping score. Why do I always have to say sorry first? You ever said that? Who cares? Look for the opportunity to allow Christ, every good thing pouring out of us for the sake of Christ, keeping our focus on Him. Why? Verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. So, so Paul, he's sincere. He's like, look, Philemon, you and I, we, go, we got history. We go back together. I've, I have received a lot of joy and comfort from you, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You've been a good brother. Caring about the people. You care about the people. You're trying to love the people. You're trying to comfort the people. You're being a good brother. You have a refreshing ministry. And I'm thankful for you. This is, this is Paul's uh, closing of Paul's prayer. And then in verse 8, he says, so here's the issue. Here's why I'm writing you. In verse 8, he says, accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul's the apostle. In the New Testament church, there's not any higher position. There are other apostles. Paul's not the pope. Paul is the apostle. Peter is the apostle. The disciples are apostles. Right? They have authority within the church. There's nobody higher but Christ. Right? Christ is, is the head of the church and he gave these men as gifts to the church to evangelize them, to teach them, to encourage them. The Bible says that God still does that in Ephesians chapter 4. That he's still giving gifts to the church. People who come alongside who are able to teach, to instruct, to encourage, to love. That's, this is how the body is supposed to function. This is how we are supposed to work. So Paul is saying, look, I, I, I know that, that I have the authority to command you. But I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I just want to appeal to you as Paul. An old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Not Paul the... I'm asking you as Paul the Apostle. Ugh. Do what I say. That's not what he's saying. There's a lot of people that, that think that church exists for us to build our own little miniature kingdoms of which we are, we have authority. That's where we find our, our reason for being. And so we have this authority in this little kingdom that we have carved out in the church and People need to do what I say. But Paul, when he's talking to a brother that he loves and he's asking for something very important to Paul's heart, he doesn't plead according to his authority. He says, I'm just an old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, that's how I'm asking you. Now, 
This is what I want you to see. This is not a plea. This is not a... We're so cynical today. We see... Our cynical eyes see all these weird things that aren't there. So when Paul says, I'm an old man and a prisoner, he's not saying, feel sorry for me. I'm a prisoner. He's saying, this is the authority by which I'm asking you. What authority does a prisoner have? Zero. Zero. And he says, I don't want you to look at me as an apostle... I'm just an old man. Just an old man in prison. Asking. Now he hasn't made his request yet. What he wants, just so you guys know, what he wants is Onesimus. He wants Philemon to let Onesimus free so he can serve Paul. So he can be a part of what Paul's doing there in the prison in Rome. That's what he wants. That's what he's going to ask for. But he's not demanding it. And he wants there to be peace, right? Between Philemon and Onesimus. Because there's been issue, right? There's bad blood. There's, there's probably frustration. And, and uh, our biggest struggle for forgiveness is because we want somebody to have to pay. And we think if we forgive somebody, then they didn't have to pay. Why do we think that? We think they have to pay us. Which means I'm on the throne. I'm the authority and you owe me. But God said, when I came to him, that he's on the throne and that I'm supposed to put all those wrongs ever done to me in his hands and he will work it out. And if God chooses to forgive the person for whom, who has wronged me, what do I care? God's king, not me. I gave him that position, didn't I? And every time I want to take that position back, every time I want to say, no, God, you don't get to forgive, I'm Jonah on the hill looking at those people Don't you forgive them people, God. You know what God said to Jonah? He said, Jonah, there are 10,000 children down there that don't know their right hand from their left. You want me to burn them all? That's what hatred does. That's what bitterness does. Makes us irrational. Forgiveness lets the, the irrationality of, of who we are, it just lets that go. That's why it's good for you. Hey, is God a better judge than you? Yeah, how many times? Oh, it's crazy how that works, right? It's crazy how that works. Yeah, God's a better judge. We want to trust God. So Paul, he's not using his authority. He's just saying, look, I want to tell you the story of how God has used this. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for, listen to the phrase, my child Onesimus. Why is Paul calling my child? Well, just like Timothy, Paul has become his father in the faith. Right? He's teaching him about how to follow Christ. He's teaching him about what it is. He says in the next line, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Jailhouse Jesus. You guys ever seen him? That's Jailhouse Jesus, man. 
I, I spent a lot of time when I first got to, to Idaho. Um, gosh, I don't know, three or four years. I was uh, I taught uh, uh, Tuesdays at the jail. Some stuff happened, and that all kind of. There's still guys going in. We still have chaplain ministry. Phil Garrish does it. If you guys are interested, <laughs> Phil, wave your hand. Phil's, Phil's our guy that takes jailhouse Jesus down. We, uh, we, so we still have that stuff going on. But, but when I was going, man, it was, it was awesome. We're so much more free than, than it is now. There's a lot more regulations, uh, probably because somebody broke a rule somewhere. But uh, back when I was doing it, there wasn't a lot of regulations. We were all in one big room with a bunch of guys in jail who didn't have to be there. But they come, and we get to tell them about Jesus and, and pray for them and share the gospel with them. And I know there's several guys in here uh, that were a part of that ministry at, at various times. And I know a lot of guys. Now, I don't mean this as a derogatory term. Jailhouse Jesus is not derogatory in my mind. Sometimes God puts you in jail so you can open your eyes and find Jesus. The question is, when you leave jail, did you leave him in jail? Right? Some guys do, but not everybody. I know guys who gone to jail, found Jesus in jail. Jesus met them there, and they came out, and they've been walking with Jesus ever since. Praise God. God is able to do that, right? God is, and so we want to be able to bring that word, and that's what Paul's doing. He's there in, uh, in prison. This is not the dungeon that he's going to be in later, so it's just, uh, just jail. And, uh, and he meets Onesimus, and now they're working together in ministry. And, and uh, it's different than jail today, right? In order for you to get food, somebody's got to bring it to you. In order for you to have clothes, somebody's got to bring it to you. Now, they didn't do that for you. You go to jail, you just go to jail. You're locked up. You better hope somebody loves you outside. So they bring you stuff. Otherwise, you just starve to death in a cage. And then Rome's happy because we don't have to deal with you no more, right? So he's got Onesimus. Onesimus is a part of this. He's found Jesus in jail. Paul became his father and in the imprisonment. So he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you. Now, you and I in English, this is one of the cool things about the Bible. See, we read the Bible. What's that mean? You don't understand, right? He was useless to you, but now he's useful. And we all go, well, that's weird, but okay. Yeah, he was useless to you. Now he's useful to me. Onesimus means useful. Oftentimes, people would give slaves names like useful, beneficial, right? So, so Onesimus' name means beneficial or useful. And when he ran away from Philemon, he was useless. He, he, was, he had broken his name, right? The pact of his name to the one who, who owned him. And so, but now to Paul, he was useful again. Now to Paul, he, was, he had found a, a place that was, that w- where his usefulness was, was able to be seen. In terms of profit, he had become beneficial again. So look what happened. So all this goes on, and then Paul says, verse 12, so I'm sending him back to you. So ultimately, Philemon gets to do whatever he wants, right? And here's the really crazy thing. You're never going to know what he did. The Bible does that a lot. You know why? He doesn't give us the end of the story. Because our story is like that. We don't have an end yet. 
What are you going to do? He sends Onesimus back to him. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So what Paul says, Paul says, look, I'm sending him back, but I want you to know this. I'm sending you my heart. I love him. He's so helpful to me. His story has come full circle. I know he burned you. I know he's done wrong. He never says once in the letter he didn't do wrong. Not one time. Is there any of us who can stand up or raise a hand and say, I've never done wrong? No, I have done wrong. I have been forgiven. I have had grace extended to me. That's the strength of the believer. That was the problem with Jonah. Right? Sitting on his hill, wishing that God would have burned out all of those people. Because of the wrong, them, those, and they did wrong. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. They're wicked people. So are you. So am I. If we think I'm not wicked and I'm good, we're having a hard time forgiving people. If we recognize there but by the grace of God go I. Yeah, I'm, I could be guilty like that. Spiritual pride sneaks in, guys. Spiritual pride sneaks in and you start looking at somebody and say, and you say these words, I would never do that. Man. I shared my testimony one time. For If there's anybody here who doesn't know it, I'm a, uh, I was a cheater. I cheated on my wife multiple times. Got HIV. A lot of, lot of crazy drama. Early in our marriage, uh, took about five years to fix all that. I don't have HIV today. I choose to, to say, God healed me. You can tell whatever story you want. But um, I choose that God healed me, otherwise I'd be dead. Just like all the people that were in the hospital with me when I got diagnosed. But uh, we went through all of that stuff. And I remember sharing my testimony one time. And I remember a mom. Moms are good at this. Because moms always think well of their children. And they should. Because nobody else will. So you should. <laughs> Right, so so it was a mom, and uh, and I, I I had shared my testimony, and I told her, man, I'm really worried about your son. I see a lot of the things I was doing in him. You know, a crook recognizes a crook, right? You know what I mean. So I'm like, ooh. She said, oh no, my son never do that. So. A year or two later, I'm counseling his son for the exact same thing. Why? Listen, when I, my, my whole gig about we're broken is not just some saying. We're broke. We're screwed up. We do things we ought not do. We say things we ought not say. The world has a view of Christians like we all think we're perfect. That should not be the view we have. The view we have should be, man, we're messed up. What we have is Christ, and He's perfect. And in as much as we are obedient to Him, we will be. Do you understand? But we all know the one thing. We're not always as obedient to Him as we ought to be, right? So we do, we, we are broken individuals. But as broken individuals, when I see a broken person, 
I should be able to, for whatever wrong, forgive and extend grace. Because I recognize my brokenness in them. Yeah, I'm not there no more. I don't, I don't do those things anymore, but I know. I know what it's like to be in that place. So Paul, as he's reaching out, he's saying, look, I'm sending you my very heart. I would have kept him, but I prefer, in verse 14, to do nothing without your consent. So Paul's saying, Philemon, you got to give your okay. you got to give your okay. And here's the beauty of what Paul's doing. If Philemon gives his okay, his prayer that Paul prayed earlier that his ministry would be fruitful is going to come true. Do you know why? Because now not only will Philemon be ministering free of bitterness in his heart, but Onesimus will be also ministering someplace and they're united. Right? They're united in ministry now. They're united because there's not that division anymore. So he says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness will not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. So I I just want you to, you get to choose. This is exactly what God does. This is exactly what God does. There's so many places in scripture where God says, choose, 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 choose. Lots of choosing that you get to do. God extends to you grace. He gifts you with the Holy Spirit. He grants you the love that you need to do it. And then he tells you, choose. Which means you can choose not to. Right? And we can continue to walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. And nobody's going to know. And you're going to think everything's just hunky-dory. But you're... Fruitfulness, your experience, your usefulness is not there. You're Jonah on the hill. Do you remember the end of the story of Jonah? I encourage you guys to read it. It's only four chapters. It's not long. It would probably take me a year to go through it. But (laughs) it's only four chapters. Look, Jonah gets up on the hill. He's mad at God. Because God forgives the people. So God gives him a plant. And this plant, this gourd, grows up over his head and gives him a little shade. Because he's in the desert. And he's so thankful for that shade. Man, I'm so thankful for that shade. And then God sent a worm. And it ate the plant. And the plant died. And then Jonah's so angry that the plant died. And then God says, Jonah, are you really angry at me? Because a plant died, and, and I didn't kill all those people. And then the book ends. Because the book is asking us the same question. Are you really? Are you really going to hold on to that? You have the words of Paul saying, let it go. Now, you want to sing that song? How many just went to that song right now? <laughs> Immediately you heard the words, let it go. And that song ruined the ability to be able to say that, that phrase without people wanting to sing. We want to be able to let it go, man. We want to be able to allow God's healing to come. To allow God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life and in the other person's life. It says in verse 15, this is what Paul is saying to him. For, for, perhaps, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. 
So Paul is saying to Philemon, maybe this is why this all happened. So that Onesimus could find me. Do you guys believe in a God who's sovereign and is able to work powerfully even through our choices? Yeah, I absolutely believe that I, I have a hard time believing I can change God's plans. God's, God's, God's going to do what God's going to do. And he's so powerful and so mighty that he can even use my free will choices to accomplish his purpose. So as he's doing it, Paul's saying, look, look, maybe this is why. Because this gets Onesimus to me. And when he comes to me, he gets saved. Now his life is radically changed. And not just his life, look at all the people that his life touches. Draw all the lines around him and think, wow, look at all these other lives that are affected because of his life. Because of him getting saved. And then you've got to do the same thing for all those lives. And that thing gets huge. Because God extended grace. Jonah sitting up on a mountain and all he can think of is, you know, my family that was, that was killed by the Assyrians. I want them all to die for what they've done. And maybe that's a legitimate feeling. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's wrong for how, for, for, for how Jonah feels. But God, in watching the king repent and all the people come to repentance, how many lives did that affect in Assyria? How many people are, are eternally affected by the repentance of Assyria in the time of Jonah? It's bigger than my one problem. Right? It's bigger than that. That's what, that's, that's what Paul wants him to see. Maybe he was parted so that, so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, no longer as your slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Now he's part of the family of God. And especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Hey, you thought this guy, his story was one way. Now you know the story has took a different turn. And this guy who once robbed you, now this guy, this slave that ran away, this guy, he, he is now fruitful in the ministry and accomplishing great things. You see, thanks to the separation, now Onesimus is part of the body of Christ. And so is Philemon. So now their relationship is deeper than what it was, master-slave. Now it's so much more than that. And, and Paul's saying, because of love, will you welcome him as a brother? Will you welcome him as a brother? Will you take him? So verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, it's what Paul's saying, if you and, if you and I are together and one page, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all and, and or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Look at verse 19. I want you to see, this is a legal document in the letter. The legal document is Paul is saying, I will pay whatever Onesimus owes, and then he signs his name. So whatever he owes you, if, if he burned you and, and that's, that's something that's separating you, Paul, who doesn't owe him anything, is saying, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I'm signing my name. Now, that name, that signature comes first. So that sentence, I just want you to understand this. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Bang. His signature is signed right there. Paul's name is signed there. The, the added thing is a PS. The added thing is parenthetical. It's not part of the deal. So Paul has absolutely provided him with a written 
bill of sale, I will pay whatever Onesimus owes, period. And then in parentheses he says, don't you owe me? Right? Because, you know, Philemon knows Jesus Christ because of Paul, the same way Onesimus does. So Philemon, you know, he has this relationship with, with, uh, with the Lord, and his life has been enriched and blessed, and his family, and he's thinking, man, this is so awesome, and he's got a ministry going right out of his, out of his house, and he's ministering to all these people, and, he's, and Paul's saying, hey, but didn't, I, didn't I do the same thing for you that I did for Onesimus? See, there's a point, there's a point where... Your story as master and his story as slave intersect. Where does it intersect? It intersects where you both need salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I I was there for you and I was there for him. I was part of that intersection. Both in the flesh and in the Lord. I, Paul, write this my own hand to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Look, we, there was that intersection. But this is what I know in verse 20. Paul says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Now, he, that's a play on words again. Remember, he was useless to you. Now he's useful. Now Paul says, hey, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Just in every one of those places where it says benefit, useless, or useful, put Onesimus. Onesimus was use, useless to you. Now Onesimus is useful to me. I want something from you. I want you to set Onesimus free so that he can be a part of my ministry. I want him to come. I want him to be a part. As, as a pastor, I hear these things all the time. About the time I get used to having somebody around, somewhere somebody calls. Mexico. Hey, can you send Levi? I don't know. I'm, I'm growing attached to the balded, bearded man. No. I got a call from the guy, and he says, look, I, I don't know how you feel about this. I said, look, I don't own anybody. If, if the Lord's calling and it's time for Levi to go, then Levi goes. He goes where God calls him. I don't own. I certainly would not say, no, you can't have him. He's mine. But wh- how's that work? When Fritz was here, and we got a phone call from Jerome, and Jerome said, man, we really could use a pastor. I looked over at Fritzy and I said, Fritzy, do you feel like that's something you'd like to do? Fritzy's like, yeah, I'll go. And when Fritzy went, several of the people who used to stay, who used to fellowship here, because they were close friends with Fritzy, they went to Jerome. Does that break the family? Or we're broken now? No, we're not broken. We just, they're down the hall in a different bedroom. We're up the hall in this one. It's all right. Same family. Right? Same family, loving the Lord, serving God. Jason comes to me and he says, man, we've been talking a long time about Kimberly, but can't seem to find anybody to do it. Maybe it's supposed to be me. So he's been in Kimberly every Sunday since that time. And God's blessing. They're, in a church, they're meeting in a church now. I, I don't know how long that'll be before I won't see his smiling face at all. That's how it is in the, in the body of Christ. If it's not like that, listen, if it's not like that, you're dying. You just don't know it yet. If people aren't moving, if people aren't going other places, if people aren't utilizing their gifts, then you're dying. 
It's just a matter of time. Right? There's a lot of places, a lot of churches that have never sent nobody out. And now they have five people left. And they're all the same age. And they don't know where the young people are. And they don't know where the other people are. Because they've just held status quo. It's okay. That's part. Every family, right? You have your little ones. And your little ones come around. And they jump and bounce on your knee. And you have all these great Christmases. And then one day they leave. No? They get married. They go off. They start their own family. Right? As part of living, the same, it's the same microcosm within the body of Christ. These same things are happening. So Paul's saying, hey, I want him. Would you send him? He says, I'm confident in your obedience, so I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, he says, I, I hope you'll prepare a guest room, for I'm hoping that to, through your prayers I will be given to you. So he's hoping to get out of jail soon. He's hoping to get out of jail and be able to visit. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends his greetings. So does Mark. You remember Mark, Matthew. What's that next one? Yeah, that's the guy. So, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Oh, you've heard of that guy before too, right? Matthew, Mark. What's the other one? Luke. There you go. Uh, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What did Philemon do? What did he do? The reason why he doesn't tell us, he doesn't put the capstone on it and say, and I don't say, here's what history says. Because history says, we don't know what he did. We don't know. What did Jonah do on top of the mountain? God said, Jonah, is it right for you to be mad about the plant dying and not about the children? What did Jonah do? What did Philemon do? What do we do? So, this morning, we're going to close out in a, in a time of worship, and there'll be people up here to pray with you. Here's how I want to encourage you. If, if you've got bitterness in your heart about somebody else, you know, some runaway slave who wronged you, and, uh, and you know because the Spirit of God's been tugging on your head since we've been doing this, Come up and come to one of the folks up front to pray with and just say, I need, I need prayer to forgive a brother or forgive a sister or whatever. Let that stuff go. Let the slave God wants to use in ministry somewhere else, some way else, let them be fruitful. Let you be fruitful. Choose forgiveness, right? Not bitterness. Don't wait for the, for the fish to swim up the Snake River and swallow you. And spit you up somewhere. And there are fish big enough in there to do it. There's some big ones. Choose. God says, I've given you the love you need. I've given you the grace you need. Now you choose to give it to others. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can come together, the opportunity to study your word, Lord. Thank you for this letter to Philemon and the challenge to us. Will you set my people free? That is what God said to the Pharaoh in Egypt. The Pharaoh said, no, I want to keep them enslaved. How many times do we say, I want to keep them enslaved? 
they're enslaved in my mind, they're enslaved in my heart, they're enslaved to my anger, to my bitterness. How many times has God come to us and said, let my people go? God, I don't want to be like Pharaoh, having a hard heart, saying no to you. So I want to let your people go. I want to let you judge between me and them. I want to trust you in it all. You know, Jonah, he saw God forgive. Nahum, he saw God judge. Same people, different times. God sent two prophets. The first prophet came to Assyria, and Assyria repented, and God forgave. The second prophet came, and Assyria did not repent, and the people were judged. All of these things emphasize that we need to be willing. We need to be willing. Because we're your people, God, governed by your spirit, led by you. So, Lord, I pray that we would see our... Are the people we might view as enemies through your eyes. For Jesus, you came and you said, love your enemies. Love those who deceitfully use you. Love those who abuse you. Forgive them. And trust me. Man, sometimes that's a, a difficult choice. But God says, look. If you've been justified by faith, I have poured out in your life everything that you need. Everything that you need to be able to accomplish the things that you so desperately need to accomplish. God, you've, you've gifted us in incredible areas and in incredible ways. So since we have been declared righteous by our faith in you, then we have peace with God. And we have access, God, into your presence so that we can stand in the very grace you are asking us to give. And we know that we can rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance. And endurance develops character. And character brings hope. And hope will never disappoint because God has given you the love you need through His Holy Spirit. God, may we choose to stand in what you've provided. And may you be glorified and magnified in your church as we are not a byword to the world because we don't act like Jesus, but we are the truth because we do. Help us be like you. And may we choose to stand in Christ and give you all the praise. Lord, we give you the glory. May you reign here in Jesus' name. Amen.